Come in through the basement. Don't let any cats out. Okay. All right. to run into the back into the car to say yeah I'm here I'm here oh but I enjoyed uh, this week's I enjoyed uh, the, the one you put up yesterday the, the uh, podcast because uh, you know what I was I was coming back I was driving into Hoboken during the part when you were in your car describing leaving Hoboken to go to Thanksgiving oh yeah yeah so you know it was trippy man. it was yeah there's a lot of synchronicity going on there it sounds like well you know what else there's a lot of synchronicities because also that you said that because you were the you said you first met Janet in two thousand five. Yeah. So we know that we got married one day apart, but I mean I got together with Tammy in two thousand four. But I had also told you there was a phase like in the late nineties when I used to hear you like um, coming driving from Plainfield to Jersey City like on Fridays like during drive time. Right. And you were going through like a very painful kind of on and off again protracted breakup with some chick. Uh, and I was in the exact same bag. 
Like, even where you had an episode of, like, yeah, we saw each other again last week after a few weeks off. And I was like, yeah, that just happened to me. So it's, uh, but now, because I was just listening to the one you did last week where you had the, uh, the micro cassettes, the I Hate My Job. Yeah. And you started describing, you're like, the place I worked was Dunder, Mi- like Dunder Mifflin's. Like, right. That's what my corporate job was exactly like. That was, the, that was the parallel I always used. And even before The Office came out, like, Office Space was like that, too. Like, the non-sharpshooter corporate right. environment. Well, it's interesting you say that, because, you know, uh, the show that I ended up putting up this week... Uh, was a last-minute replacement because initially I had gone back into those micro cassettes, and I found, you know, like with these micro cassettes, I'm finding all of this shit that I didn't know I had, mm-hmm. and one of the things I didn't know I had was, um, and I had written about this guy, this guy that trained me at CBS Radio when I got the job at CBS Radio. He uh. was, he was this five foot two, you know, sort of. Uh, uh, he, he had spina bifida or something. He couldn't really walk, and you know, he he got around with a cane and a walker and all. But he was easily the most unpleasant person I've ever worked with. <laughs> in that he was like homophobic and misogynist and you know racist, all wrapped up into one. Yeah. And yeah. he smelled bad, and he had huge <laughs> flakes of dandruff coming off of him, and. You know, and I, I, I wrote about this guy because that's how impressive he was to me. I wrote this piece about him. But then I'm going through these cassettes and I see one that says, like, CBS training on it. Uh-huh. By the way, I, I, I left this here for you in case you want to Oh, so this, this is the, yeah, that's the Yeah, and I haven't turned up the volume on that amp yet. Okay. So I started transcribing this micro cassette. I'm like, this is great shit. Here's this guy, you know, who I didn't even know I had this audio on being homophobic and misogynist yeah. oh, and oh, racist you... and just like belching constantly. That's the other thing I forgot the he real did. Cinema like every once in a while he'd be like, yeah. he would just like <laughs> and he would comment on them and he'd go, good one. Oh, that was a good one. And I'd be like, really? <laughs> um, but, uh, and then I realized after I had it all dubbed and I had written up the newsletter and I was like, I can't use this. What if this guy is still alive somewhere? What if he finds out about this? What if somehow it gets back to him? What if he's a Aerial View fan. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. what if this, you know, I haven't, I didn't, he didn't know I was recording him. He didn't see yeah. the little recorder there. You can't Mel Gibson him, man. I can't Mel Gibson <laughs> you can't him. can't Mel Gibson him. And I was really, it was, you know, and I, I came down to dinner. This was Sunday night. I came down to dinner with Janet and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't have anything. I've got nothing, you know, and. She was like, well, people love when you talk, you know, why don't you, here, put this on your phone, why don't you just, you know, talk about something and, and do that, because people love when you would talk, it wouldn't matter if you took phone calls or didn't take phone calls, and I was like, yeah, it's not a bad idea, actually, you know, I, I don't, I agree, as a, as a listener, as a listener, I definitely, definitely, that's, that's totally true. So I went upstairs and, um, you know, did like 20, before I knew it, I had talked for 20 minutes about being grateful and gratitude and all that whole shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and that ended up, you know, I put that together with a couple of other things, some communication breakdown. So I'm wearing this air cast now. Yeah, that's... I can actually, I got the go-ahead last week to put some weight on the foot, which is good. Uh, let me see. Say something into your mic. Hello? Just talk like regular people. Hey, 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 I'm an asshole. Hey, hey, hey. What do you say there? What do you say there? You know, I was re-watching, um, 
hadn't seen in a long time, the one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. So I never realized that I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. God, the devil. Like, I, yes. I had not realized that that was from that. Do you understand? Yeah. Finally? Yes. Yeah, I love that uh, that line. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. associated that with your show um, for all this time. Those are my favorite moments when people are like, oh, that's where you got that thing from. Yeah. I never knew that's where that came from. Yeah, that's where that came from. Yeah. Uh, my beard is rubbing on the microphone again. Let me... So I think I may be your worst student <laughs> because I have played twice since the last time I saw you. I don't know if you saw, but uh, my friend Jim made a guitar for me, uh-huh. which is upstairs. I've been playing it upstairs, but he made uh, a Bigsby copy. You know, Paul Bigsby, uh-huh. maker of guitars. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the tremolo system. I don't know how much I know what the guitars look like. Uh, well, they, they kind of look like Telecasters. They look like oh, proto-Telecasters because okay. he was building them in 1948 mm-hmm. or thereabouts. And, uh, you know, maybe even earlier than that, Merle Travis, guys like that who wanted an electric guitar, but they wanted... Initially, Merle Travis went to him to fix his tremolo. Mm-hmm. And that's when Paul Bigsby invented what we all know now as the Bigsby tremolo. But he also was, you know, he could build anything, this guy. He was a motorcycle guy, and he had a machine shop, so he decided to start making guitars. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came up with that headstock that we all know and love from Fender. Uh-huh. This, this, oh. You know, he that was his idea, uh-huh. and Fender kind of appropriated it. And the idea of a thin plank of wood uh-huh. was kind of his innovation. Well, anyway, That's interesting. Um, d- this is digression. A lot of digression, but mainly what I'm trying to say to you is I'm a terrible student. That's what they, that's people, you know what I, I've talked about, like a, the common common thing of the guitar lesson is like a long-term student, usually um, a large percentage of them, what they do is they come in and the first thing they do is uh, confession. Yeah, this is my <laughs> like confession. They confession. And they say like, I'm just going to, and then they, a lot of times like what they'll say is, I'm going to be honest with you. Let me be... Let, <laughs> I'm going to be honest Keith with Hartel, you. let me just be honest with you. you. I am a terrible, terrible student. I'm still getting mic levels here, so... Yes. Please forgive me, all of the, all of you who will be listening to this in the future, where you and I will spend the rest of our lives. Um, let me see. I don't think I have anything to... tell if this is on or not. Hang on. That was almost Welcome to the Jungle. I know, and the funny thing is, I was teaching some kid that yesterday, and of course, you know, there's, uh, I don't know if you have any feelings about the uh, proposed reunion, or if you were, if, if, if you were a Guns N' Roses guy or not. I, uh, I, I actually uh, was not at the time, because I was, my head was in a different place entirely, but I remember... When their songs would come on the radio, I'd be like, yeah, this is pretty good rock and roll. Yeah. This is pretty good rock and roll, right? I mean, I, 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 at the time, um, I, I dismissed a lot of what was happening in the quote-unquote world of heavy metal. I don't know what they're called. They but, weren't heavy well, metal. You, that's though, the thing about Guns N' Roses. They were rock and roll, man. Well, what people... Well, one of the things about Turn Guns N' Roses... Turn that mic up towards your face. Oh, sure. Here. Point it, like... Yeah, point it up. Do, do I have to replace it or didn't... Or just... Say, let me see it for a second. Yeah. Uh... You just have to kind of do this. There you go. Yeah, yeah um, Guns N' Roses, because when they were new, 
you got to remember the environment they came into because what happened was uh, grunge had not happened yet, but it was about to happen. Jane's addiction was about to happen. Right. And it was still like Motley Crue and Poison. Hair metal was the dominant metal. And the thing about Guns N' Roses was they didn't wear spandex. They wore ripped up jeans and t-shirts. Yeah. And most of them had some kind of non-hair metal except for Axel in the first video or early photos. Yeah. And it was almost like Axel, the second they became famous, stopped using hairspray. Like, but um, what was going on at the time was the cult had just released Electric. Okay. Which sounded like ACDC, and Zodiac Mind Warp also sounded like ACDC. And those were the two kinds of things like that quote-unquote alternative music fans liked. Yes. So it was kind of like it was cool to like old rock. So when Guns N' Roses came out, what they really sounded like was Aerosmith used to had sound. Right. So it was sort of like, a to me, when they first came out, we thought it was like a throwback. And then their first album, they cover Mama Ki- uh, not the first album, the EP, the four-song EP. Yes. They cover a Rose Tattoo song, uh, you know, Nice Boys Don't Play Rock and Roll, which is an Australian animalistic. I, I love Rose Tattoo. There you yeah. go. They're Great covering band. Rose Tattoo. And they covered um, Mama Kim by Aerosmith. And you're like, these guys are the fucking coolest. But... Um, I thought Slash had lots of style, that's for sure. Yeah, he did. He yeah. did. And uh, they, they were kind of... I see them as the transition between hair metal and grunge. They were kind of a transitional band. But the thing was is that basically the coolest thing going at that moment was the cult. Because that was the band that was getting the rock fans and kept their alternative fans. Right. And Guns N' Roses, that's why, like, in my circles, you know, I was in AOD when Guns N' Roses... When I first heard Guns N' Roses, it was on that AOD tour I was on when the four song cassette was only out and then when we got to LA was when the album came out so like we were listening to Appetite literally the day it came out and you were thinking yeah it sounded like Aerosmith pretty damn good yeah and then I remember the first time I saw uh, the Welcome to the Jungle video you know months later on MTV and this is you know only on the metal show like you know there was no they were only played on the you know they weren't big yet and just seeing the video Welcome to the Jungle I was like oh these guys are cool like, they looked cool in the pictures, but also, I went to the concert at the Ritz that they filmed for MTV. And basically, um, I never got to see The Clash at Bond's Casino, but when I hear people talk about when they saw The Clash at there, or people that saw The Clash at the Capitol Theater, like, that's what the feeling of seeing Guns N' Roses at the Ritz was like. Like, they had that thing about the, the aura, the, the charisma. That aura, Bad yes. boys, bad boys. So how do you play that opening thing? Is it, was I... Oh, that's so funny. Well... One of the things about it is that he's using a delay pedal, so the line is this. It's, um... Yeah, so I'm starting here. Um, it's ninth, ninth... Start on the, um... On the ninth fret of the D string. Ninth fret, that's seven, that's nine. Yeah, and you're gonna go... I used to know how to play that whole... Oh, 
hook me up we won't uh, get out of that 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 was a karaoke band a very popular uh, karaoke band song as well you know it's interesting you should say that because just the other day when i you know i'm going through all of these all of this audio that i have mainly to feed the beast known as aerial view and uh i saw something that said sfkb mm-hmm. and i was like what the fuck is that sfktb SFKTV. Super Fun Time Karaoke Band. I, SFTKB? I, to me, Fun Time was one word, I guess. So I, I didn't know what it was, but yeah. then I realized oh, there you go. that's the Super Fun Time Karaoke Band. They played the record fair one time, the WFMU record yeah, fair. Yeah, I was, yeah. And, uh, and people I, got up and sang with the band. Yeah. I was, And I was in that band at that time, as right. well as when we played at your wedding that time. Yes, that's right. And oh, man, the memories. They come back. Anyway. Um, so how have you been since the last time I saw you? What's, what's new? And My new? back is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> back is killing me. Yeah, it's uh, no, I've been having back problems, and I always am crabby around the holidays. What, why is so. that? Is it uh, seasonal affective disorder? Is no, it uh, something else? Well, you know that thing where, like, like around the holidays, like a lot of you know, it's, it's a suicide. People break your balls. It's when you if you don't if you don't have um, uh, it's 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 it brings up a lot of family shit. Like, right. um, it's that kind of thing. Like the psychology right. is that you you can repress through the rest of the year. At a time when everyone else goes like you know like you know huddles together with their families, um, like that's that's the time when uh, I feel alienated from society. I'm with you, pal. Well, I remember that I'm there was with you. one of the ones that you did about Thanksgiving. Yeah, where you just got, you. I remember the line specifically because again I identified so much, and you said, you said my family. We're not, that's not the kind of family where we take a lot of interest in other people's lives. And then you use this example that an uncle or a cousin or something says. So, Chris, you still at that job? And he's like, he's talking about some job I had five years ago. Like, right. like that whole breakdown that you had So, are you then. still on, what are you, on the radio? What are you doing? Yeah, the way that you described the unpleasantness, um, that was always uh, extremely painful for me. And I guess uh, you had that experience as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, there you go. So, where, where are you going to be for Thanksgiving, speaking of which, which is, uh, what, tomorrow? Yeah, there tomorrow. you go. Um, I'll be in uh, my apartment with my wife. All right, um, having, having a... Quiet Thanksgiving. A quiet. We're gonna just even act like it's just a normal day where everything's closed. But uh. But but what? Uh, no turkey. No. No turkey. Probably dressing. Chinese food. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Here's the funny thing is because I avoided my. I liked avoiding my family so much that when I got together with Tammy. We start. I started going to her family for Thanksgiving. And then. Are they fun? Well, uh, well, they were, but we'll see. The thing is, it was a trip to Rochester, and it was her and her brother. Rochester and her Hall, mother, isn't it? Yeah, we used to take a plane. We, oh my but, god! But the thing was, that was the one time that she went to see her that side of the family. Now, this is a little bit. This is it's kind of sad. Yeah. But what happened was, um, Tammy's brother, who's who's uh, who died a few years ago, and Tammy's mother died a couple years before that. So what I'm saying is, we used first we used to go, and then I started to pretend to go and tell my family that I was going, but not go and just stay in my house by myself. And then what happened was Tammy's mother died, and then her brother was just like, you know, do we have to do the whole rigmarole? It's a pain. Because it was hard for him to get around. Right. So then we started blowing it off, and then for a couple years, we would just get, my, get, get, get together with her brother and my brother, and then her brother died. So it's just like we started avoiding all the living, and then the people that we were around died, and, and it's, now it's, uh, just, it's just me and her. So, I mean, not that, I mean, not that my, we don't have my, options. But. My story is incredibly similar. You know, <laughs> yeah. from 2006 to 
you know, 2012, I lost like four members of my family. Uh -huh. My sister and then uh, my brother and my father, they died in the same week. And then my mother, you know, so there's been all, uh, there's very few of us left. In other words, do you have brothers yeah. and sisters? Still I have or? one brother, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, I have a brother and a sister. And uh, I, I hope to go see her at Christmas time, but we're not going to be getting in it together for Thanksgiving. Tomorrow, I'm actually going to be on the air on my actual job. And um, and then we, I think we got some Thanksgiving dinners from Whole Foods kind of thing. Oh, nice. We're going to have, because I wanted some turkey, you know. But, you you know, duck would have been just as fine. I should have just yeah. ordered some duck from the Chinese restaurant. That's what, maybe next year. Yeah, well, you know, we started doing, because uh, Tammy's Jewish, so... Um, and again, I would be avoiding my family on Christmas as well. So we started doing the Jewish Christmas, which is like Chinese food in the movies. And then we started using that for uh, Thanksgiving, you know, or at least the Chinese food part. But do you um, want that, by the way? I, I, I already. I oh, you already that. tuned it. Yes, I had to add that. So. so, I know the last time we were together, we were talking quite a bit about Chuck Berry. Um, we've talked quite a bit about a number of guitarists as well. I. I still feel like like when I sit down and play by myself when you're not here, mm -hmm. um, I'm mainly just unfocused I yeah. is the word I would use. It's just unfocused sort of playing the guitar. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I still feel like in terms of, I think maybe I would have made a great rhythm guitarist, I was thinking the other day. You might be thinking, a great rhythm guitar player. I might be a great rhythm You might be one right player, now already. But it's, you know, <laughs> it I think I kind of am. But I, uh, I just, I think like in terms of, the stuff that I've always wanted to do, which is lead as mm. well, I don't know if um, if I'll ever be a good lead guitarist. Is what it comes down to. No, I, it really depends. On, it really depends on how you define it. Because you were talking, because I was listening to last week, right? The yeah. part, because the the part that's the old the old part, the vintage part. Yes. You start talking about like yeah. And uh, I was growing, you know, growing up, I always thought of lead guitar as the thing. And you you were talking about Neil Young again, and we talked about Neil Young. So let's let's start with that because like if your idea of what a great lead guitar player is is Neil Young. Yes. Now, and then we talked about we went back and forth a little bit about how you would you take his playing as sounding very intuitive, which is obviously correct. Everything good is though. Everything creative yes. is intuitive. But that I was saying that no, but he's hitting the right notes and he knows what he's doing. But he has kind of zero technique. So the one thing you've got to think about is how did he get like that? Well, uh, the 60s, this is a guy that would just get stoned and jam on a two-chord thing for... I mean, besides, however, the 10 minutes of Down by the River that's on his record, you know, like hours and hours and hours of just, you know, just getting high and soloing. Um, if we grew up in punk rock, that wasn't... I mean, I don't... I imagine if you're you know, how the nihilistics functioned or whatever. My function... Beer. Yeah. But, I mean, also, like, when I was learning... There was no weed. It was yes, no, it was beer. But, yeah. like, a lot of people from punk rock, um, instead of, like, kind of learning songs and learning how to jam, um, the way that I was learning and a lot of people I knew were learning is as soon as you start to get any kind of thing that you could do on the instrument, you're either making up original songs or your friend is showing you the song he wrote. Right. But it was really always about getting original songs. And that's sort of the side of, like, you know, maybe The Edge was the same way. The Edge isn't Mr. Lead Guitar Player either, you know. Um, but Did it, you have to mention The Edge? 
Do you, oh, you have a beef with the edge? I, I kind of have a beef with the edge. A you, little bit of a beef. Did with you me. see it might get loud? Uh, yes, I did. And I, you still don't like the edge after the like that? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Maybe I gotta watch it again. Maybe I'm so a, humble. So humble. Especially compared to, to Jimmy Page, like being all being all like you know he was all uh, highfalutin and Jack White was Edward hands. How dare you with this long coat? No, I love Jimmy Page in that movie, but the way he just ho- carries himself in that long coat and the way that he's dismissively like when Jack White plays him, that, he earned it. Yeah, God damn it. Oh no, 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 no question. Uh, what, what do you like about the Edge? In ten words oh, or less. Oh, simple. Um, what I really saw in that movie, for one thing, it really was where. If you take those three guys, uh, Jimmy Page, as you say, earned it. Yeah. But he was very fucking superior. Like, like this is a, you know, like, I'm I'm man. coming down from Mount Olympus to yeah. show you how it's done. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah, 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 co- yeah. correct for him. And yeah. I have no problem with that. Then you have the poser, Jack White, who I do think is a great guitar player and has a lot going for him as a talent. But he's like a poser, and he's a little bit disingenuous when he starts talking about influences because he pretends... He ignores the fact that he learned initially from metal and from Stevie Ray Vaughan and then started listening to blues when he was like 18, blah, blah, blah. And, he, you know, Edward Scissorhands. I'm over that whole Edward Scissorhands look. Um, but, you know, you could tell that he really was trying. He was very self-conscious, I thought, in yeah. the movie. And The Edge just really seemed like a regular guy. But when they showed him in his house with all the pedals, like like we have in front yes. of you here. And he just starts, like, kind of, like, making examples of shit. And then you just kind of realize that, like, this guy, you know, like, this guys he's, he's a visionary of a kind. Like, he puts this together in his head. The way that he uses pedals to create, you know, music and his specific way of doing it, there was something about the way that when they showed him with all his gear in his house, just to kind of just sitting there fucking with it, that you could be like, oh, yeah, that's why he's the edge. Like, it's, you know, you know, you realize there's a real, he really brought something to the table that was his own and very original. Well, the criticism of him, maybe I subscribe to it, is you know without the effects he'd be nowhere. Exactly, well, that's true. It, that's true. Comes down to you know, but, it's like what would Laurie Anderson be without an mm-hmm. even tied harmonizer? But that's well, that's that's legit. And but it's it goes back to like every kind of time that there's another level of technology, you know, is dismissed by people from the old technology, like electric guitar. Electric guitar would have, I mean, like James Jamerson fucking hated the electric bass. When he was playing it on Motown Records, he was a jazz stand-up bass player. Yeah. And the electric bass was considered like a toy by someone who was a real musician. It wasn't a real instrument even. Right. And he played it better than everyone. He had contempt for it. But it's kind of like, so saying that Edge would be nowhere without pedals is kind of like saying, well, John Entwistle, I'll, if I'll there was be, no okay, I'll, I'll just come <laughs> clean. I don't like you 2 Yeah. Maybe that's it. No, they trigger people. I can't take Bono. Mm. And he is a trigger for me. I, just, just like there's a lot of people who are triggers for you who you'd like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if I have to see this guy one more time. A lot of people. A lot of people. Some people. So I'm sorry if Edge Certain gets, people. if I throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sorry, uh, Edge. Well, the thing is, I'm not even, I'm not even, I have mixed feelings about um, you two anyway. Like, as I found them irritating, is just like everyone else. Right, for and, all the same reasons, yes. Yeah, and then occasionally, like, oh, this is a really good song. And then an occasional bouts of like, ah, you know, why was I ever so mad at this band? They're harmless. Or then, yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I, I'm old enough to remember, you know, their first records and, and sure. going into the, uh, into Legs and Valley Stream and hearing something of theirs come over to the sound system and be like, oh, that's okay, oh, I can get behind this. But then they just well, uh, like Bono, Bono, is it Bono or Bono, Bono, Bono? It's just yeah. a pretentious twat. 
Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Well, sorry. And I really tried oh. to listen to that record that Apple forced on onto my iPhone. I liked it. And it was. Did you like the record? I wrote a raps, uh, uh, like like a rapturous review of it. But I mean, kind of uh, for for um, my friend's thing, um, review stalker. I wrote a piece for review stalker, like that. Just I just praised the shit out of it. But but I mean, kind of for one thing, I did think it was really good. But I'm a contrarian. So the thing was, is that, you know, like when, when, when uh, that album came out, everyone's like, oh, the hubris of them putting this on everyone's thing. And I'm just like, wait, oh, I, I have the new U2 record? Oh, I'm going to listen to it. I'm curious. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, fuck it. It's really good. But almost kind of because it made everyone else so mad. Yeah, I enjoyed you are liking it. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoyed finding what was good about it. But um, Anyway, uh, so to go back to Neil Young for a second, you're saying my problem is I'm not getting high enough and playing my guitar. Well, is that is that what you're is that what you're driving at? Well, well, what I am saying is that what you're saying, I'm saying that if Neil Young was your model of what a great lead guitar player is, that's attainable um, because it's there's it's you have the tools like. So, in other words, if you were like, well, you know, I really wouldn't feel like I was good unless I played like Randy Rhodes. And then if you were deciding at this point in your life that you were going to become Randy Rhodes, that might be like, well, that, that might be kind of rough. But if you decide like that your goal is to be like a Neil Young type great guitar player, that that's that's obtainable. And I remember that you had said that you learned uh, note for note Powderfinger what he played. Yes, yeah. So it was kind of note for note. It wasn't exactly, obviously, note for note, but it was, you know. But, there was that. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff is what I learned. Well, if we, because now the thing is, this, a lot of the way that um, a best case scenario guitar lesson can work is that if you have a thing like that that you like, and then you can learn to play it. And then figure out how it works. Yes. That's how you get the powers. Or that's one of the ways that you get the powers. So, um, that song is in G, right? Yeah. So, um, have, we, have we ever used the, the term relative minor before? No. Okay. Here is a quickie. Um, every major has a relative minor it's the sixth note of the scale like i'm trying to kind of skip i'm trying to skip ahead without getting too technical yeah but let's just go here i'm just gonna say that the relative minor of g is e minor now what you can notice next is that if we play the um the same minor pentatonic scale we always play um but we'll play it we'll start by playing it in the open position and there is a lot of this gets used in powder finger um, but it's this. Yeah. Now, if you look at the notes where they are, yeah. what you notice is that if you play a G chord, or Neil would play it like this, actually. That's Neil plays the farmer G. What does that mean? Farmer it means... Well, well, I call it that because instead of the B string, the third finger there, like the... This is the John Lennon G, or you know the uh, ACDC G, and then this is the Bob Dylan Neil Young G. This is the only G I know is this one here. Oh, okay. That means that you don't know the John Lennon G, but you're already playing the Farmer G. But that's the because uh, the difference is this. Um, well, that 
actually, let me not sidetrack myself. Um, but if that's the G we're using, then you, that's the same. That's the same as this with a different fingering. The difference is that if you use this fingering, then you go to the C as you would in powder finger. It's I just easier to, yeah. I actually do that when I go to the C. Yeah, so. a lot of people, that's, yeah. that's very normal. Um, but anyway, the point is that this scale, if you look at that, all those notes are in that scale. Right. And then if you have an E minor, there are all the notes are in that. All the notes of that chord are also in that scale. Okay. So basically, um, the, that that lick that you were quoting when he's over that G to the C, so some kind of like. Yeah. Now that note right there. Um, I am at the, yeah, there you go. That note is G. Right. So now the thing is, here's, because I, I, I don't have that solo memorized, but um, if you follow this pattern, that's, that's, a, that's what you would call like a uh, G major pentatonic. Yeah, so let's go. Yeah, now, once you've done this, like, you just played five notes, like one, two, three, four, five. Now your first finger is lined up. Yeah, now you can do the same thing again here, one, two, three, four, five. Now you know that there's a difference in the interval when you go from the G to the B string? Yes. Right, so that means that your first finger isn't lined up at G anymore, now G's here. Yeah, so now the trick is that it, like, so to play a three octave major pentatonic scale, which I guess we'll do, what we'll, I'll show you one time going up. You have the one, two, three, four, five, then your fingers lined up. One, two, three, four, five. You started here, the second uh, octave? Started here. Yeah, so the one, two, three, four, five. Now the next note is gonna be there. And you're gonna go. Let's see if we're in tune, first of all, because I don't think we certainly. are. Certainly. Um, it sounds acceptable. Okay. So. Yeah, and then after that, one, two, three, four, five. So the next, that note is there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, after that, you have to bring your finger up but use your first finger so your brain doesn't get confused. Then you go one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. So basically, now if you stay in that pattern, when I'm going, yeah, just. Now those ones, you, that part there. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, and also, remember, that's also, that happens to be the same record 
that has the line, the first song on side one, Is This the Story of Johnny Rotten? Yes. Well, Steve Jones was ripping off Thunder's licks, and that's the first example of any Neil Young song I know that has this in it. Yeah. Yeah, because what he's doing there, like, like, if we analyze, like, so you notice that you were, when you're um, whizzing around on the, on the scale pattern. Yeah. That it was working, right? And you're finding yes. things. Now, at one point, it seemed like you had started to remember when he does some kind of sliding. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, now, you, yes. you noticed that. That's from hours of listening to it. Yeah. And playing it. So, yeah. Okay. So that's but basically, um, in a nutshell, you kind of have it like a taste of, I just gave you like the most basic, like, all right, he's using this. And then using that, you were able to jam over it. And then you started also just having intuitive leaps that, you know, part of the reason that those things happen is because they're built in, I mean, you, hours of listening. Right. And then also when you're doing these things, this, which is just like major scale, like it's right. every note is either two frets or one fret. So it's like, you know, you can memorize and, you know, it's recommendable to memorize scales. But the other thing is, if you're, say, you're Neil Young and you weren't memorizing scales because he only had the one lesson from, you know, in his life or whatever, um, you start to know whether you want to go or to... And basically, that's, that's the decision. Um, the most you can, like, say if we... I might have said this before in an earlier lesson, is that if you're, if you're soloing, and we've talked about, like, clunkers are notes that don't fit. Right. And then... Um, so, so say if you're just trying to avoid clunkers, if you're on a bad note, the maximum you are away from an acceptable note is a half step. So usually the next fret up or down? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's the furthest away you could ever possibly be from a decent note. So it's sort of like, you know, you can get... You can get a good feel for that without necessarily like having it as a locked-in understanding. That could that could become an intuitive thing to do because well, a half step and a whole step sound different. Is there any value? To, I, I personally, I think there. I, I would love to stay with Powderfinger for a minute. Yeah. Because I feel like if we play that song mm -hmm. during this lesson, and I can extract some lessons from it, because when I learned it, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was learning it by rote, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was trying to make it sound like what I heard. Right. You know, right. which uh, is an acceptable way to learn things, obviously. But oh, I don't yeah. know if I knew exactly what was going on. I can't even remember the central riff now. Because well, here's one thing I could tell you is that when yeah. you were jamming on it, um, what you want the, the big lesson is that it's an incredibly simple song. Um, it's mostly G and C. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing about G and C is that G is the root note of G, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it's the fifth of C. So it, now, if you start playing, start playing G and C, and I, and if I, so if I go, so the thing is, is that that G, we, we talked about the target note before. Yeah. Um, Basically, in that whole section, the whole verse, if you keep on just tying everything up on a G note, it's always going to sound intentional and correct. So that's 
one of the things that you probably hear in his playing is that that's what he's doing. Yes. So, because um, one of the things too is I don't know how much of this, like if, if, if there's like, the, if he's in the open position at all. I mean, I know he's got that, or the, what is that line? Yeah. See, I can't remember that. No, well, it's, it's what. <laughs> I'd have to play all it. Oh, here it is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There. But I think it's I think that's a single note line. I think it's here. Like uh Let me just try it for one second. Okay. I just sure. want to see if it's coming back to me through muscle memory because yeah. I know I had it down. Oh my god, like, I totally forgot. I think we're in the. That's it. Because what I think what he's doing is he's playing something off the open strings, like... I know it ends with some kind of like this. So... And, no, open because it's the G, right? So you got... Yeah. And then this thing... Yeah, so what I'm doing is I'm leaving the G string open. I'm leaving the G string open. And I have to keep on saying, too, because I'm, I'm playing it from half memory, so. Yeah. This is like this note, this note, this note, and then the, and then the open G. Yeah. And then, and then here. Yeah, now. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, if I'm... Yeah. Yeah. So, now keep in mind now, so here, if you're playing a G chord, the B note belongs in the G chord. Then the other chord is C. So this line here, when you hear this melody, yeah, now that's a nice melodic thing, but really, like here, you're in C, and it brings you back to G. There you go. And then he throws in this lick. Uh, if you're on the C, 
like a C, like, yeah, so you have this. Yeah, now again, see this here. Ah, yeah, this brings us back to something we talked about before because now if I did it here, wasn't that one that I played the other week and you were like, yeah, I never knew that particular yeah. lick, but it, you, it's familiar to your ear, right? Right. So the thing is this, you're going D, E, G. So, now if you do it in the open position, you have this. Yeah. So, now Neil, a lot of Neil's thing is, um, are you very much into the, like, the acoustic stuff? Or say, like, like say the song Tell Me Why, first song on After the Gold Rush? Uh, I'm not familiar with it. Okay. I probably know it, but it's, I'm not familiar with it. Well, basically, um, one, one of the things I said that when we talked about this before is that there's like a real strong contrast in a way between his, um, his acoustic playing is so, um, you know, it's, 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 it's real fucking good, I guess is the words I'm looking for. But he has a lot of like um, Carter family um, and bluegrass kind of, like a lot of good country stuff. So what he's good at in, say, in a G or C chord, because if you're in a bluegrass, like there's a a, a, um, a cliche that like all bluegrass songs are in G. And the reason is, it's because of this, once again, we keep on talking about this pentatonic scale. So you have all these hammer-ons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, like, yeah, when you have this here, these three strings are all on the second fret. Yeah, so now you got... Yeah, yeah, so that kind of stuff, you go... You see what I mean? Like, like that's where you can you throw in a lot of licks that way. So Neil does that, and that's a big part of his acoustic playing. But he also brings it into his electric play. But um, so a lot of that is just that it, we've talked before about um, the idea of, of that finding the notes. People think of scales, but really knowing that where the chord notes are is the real, you know, that's the meat of the matter. That's the, the gold. So basically, like someone like Neil Young, I would hypothesize. All right. So you can take a G chord. And then if you, you know, learn certain things, you start to learn that if you have a G chord, all these other notes. Right. Like, yeah, you learn that you have these extra notes. And that, that one has to be on the third fret. But you learn. Yeah. So a guy like Neil, like, you could, it's easy to see when you're down here and you're just taking it straight out of the chord, but just being able to see it everywhere else because it's the same notes everywhere else, but you just haven't looked at them yet is the mm -hmm. idea. But it's also the same thing that like, you know, if you go and you learn, which not that I have, but like the Scotty Moore style of like rockabilly playing, mm -hmm. rockabilly wizards. Like if, if you watch a video of them playing, you could just see that they take the licks straight out of wh whatever bar chord their position is in and they just know where the extra notes right around there are. And that's, so that's sort of where, um, that's where the good stuff is. The good stuff is from the chords. 
and it's about being able to know where the chord notes are and then how to go with a little bit away and then get back to them. But uh, it comes back to targets. Then where does it go after that? Um, after that, and let's say, well, here's what he does is because there's hardly anything in that song. One of the genius things about that song is um, how how much can you get out of two chords? Like mm -hmm. what he does is uh, so you got it's G C G. Boat coming up the river. Now you're on the C. Now you're gonna hold C. Call John, cause it don't look like B minor. And then back to C. Now notice that when you hear the C after the B minor, it doesn't sound like the same C that you've already been playing half yeah. the time up to there. Genius. I know. And that's the whole song because then it just says. Da, 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 da. And then, then finally, B minor, C, now D, and then you got it. Yeah. I can't remember to save my fucking life. He never hits, that's the thing, is on the G string, he just uses the open string there. Yeah. And then after that open G, yeah. And then the other thing, so you notice that when you hear that. Like, and then the G, the C. But it's still that open note that, so when you get that open G and then you play the chord, it anticipates the chord because the G is from the chord. Yeah. So, I mean, another thing in, in the analysis of it, we talked about one, four, five before, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, in this song, G is one, and then C is four. Okay. Now, basically, if you're hearing one and four, your ear really expects to hear five. Like, it really, really expects to hear five. Um, so, now, before I made a reference to relative minor... Yes. The relative minor, like let's, and, and again, without going too technical, let's just say a relative minor means that if you have a chord, you could switch it out for the relative minor. So if we're playing in G to C and we're in the key of uh, G, we're expecting to hear a D chord at some point. The relative minor of D is B minor. So what happens is when you get, get her Instead of a D, B minor, it's liver, the male. So the B minor is working like the D. B minor to the C. B minor, C. And then finally, B minor, C. And then when you hear the D, that's finally, you've been waiting, your ear has been waiting to hear that chord. Ah, now notice this too. That's why that lick starts on that note that note is D. Yeah, so it, yeah, so 
that's coming out of a D chord. So the first note of that lick is the note D. Yeah. So, and it, so it ties down, it ties all the chords together. What a fucking genius that guy is, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's the thing about those simple elements that, you know, it's all about how you combine that stuff, is it not? I mean, somebody else could take those same elements, combine them differently, and it wouldn't be that oh, yeah. affecting, you know? It's, it's, well, uh, if, if otherwise, Frank Zappa would be the number one artist of all time history and everyone's favorite, <laughs> most admired musician right. in, in popular music because if being Are you more, saying he didn't combine the elements properly? Or no, I'm no. saying that, I'm just saying if being smart, if coming up with smart shit that right. it, it takes a lot of hard work to be able to do was the measure of whether the music is good or not, Frank Zappa would be number one, you know. Um, I, I, let's have a Frank Zappa discussion for yeah. a minute because my brother's, you know, my older brother Mario was a Frank Zappa fan. Uh-huh. And I, but to me, Frank Zappa, there was a, a, a element... If you use Neil Young as an example of emotion mm-hmm. that was missing from what Frank Zappa did for me, there was a part of it that was too much at an ironic sort of, you know, distance f- for me. Well, I mean, I appreciated uh, his musicianship yeah. and the humor, uh-huh. but there was part of the experience that I wanted from music that yeah. I wasn't getting from him. Well, I'll tell you, you this. Know, if, uh, I mean, Frank Zappa, there was just, it was just reshared by... Uh, uh, Mickey from Ween just reshared this, but it's the old uh, Onion thing mm. that was like um, low area man told that he has to listen to the right Frank Zappa record. Yes, because you know Ween has a lot of Zappa in their thing, and they happen to not be, or at least Mickey's not a fan of Zappa. But people always expect that he's a fan of Zappa. Then they're like, "What? How are you not a fan?" But this Onion article is like, you know, area, you know, man uh, insists like you like need if to hear you the just right listen record. to Joe's Garage, then you'll finally you'll get. Frank Zappa well, it would or, never be as obvious as Joe's Garage. Uh, yeah, uh, but although it might be the which is song. an accessible album. In yeah, the Frank Zappa oeuvre, right? Very, very much. Yes. But what I would say for the thing that you're um, talking about is because um, a lot of what he was doing around the time of Joe's Garage, and this is what people where they see the parallel with Ween, is if you listen to that album, like there's a song that sounds like Steely Dan. There's a song that sounds like Aerosmith. There's a song that sounds like, you know, the, the cars or whatever. Like, whatever was going on at the time, and this goes back to Freak Out, like, he always had, like, could, like, had that thing where he could break down whatever style you're doing and be like, fuck you, Steely Dan, I could do this shit, and it's a joke to me. Right, right. Um, and, it, and it was... So, so when you're saying the thing that you find that's missing from his music... Yes. It's in the instrumentals. Yeah. If you listen to some of his instrumental guitar work... Um, no one has more soul. I, really? You know, yeah, I, I would say All right, that. so I haven't listened to the right thing. Yeah, that's that's right. You got to go for the instrumentals. <laughs> but yeah, you got to go for the instrumental. But, um, and then the other thing, though, is just that it's, uh, it, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's a taste thing because, you know, like you saw, you saw Amadeus. Yes. It's like the royal yeah. ear can only hear you so, know, many, so notes. many notes. Yeah. yeah. So, the royal, yeah so, so for Zappa, like, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, and people have the same kind of thing about Steely Dan. It's like, like people, it's very divisive. Like people either find that it feeds them in a way that nothing else will because it's got this intelligence or they feel alienated by a certain slick, clever thing that seems like too smart for its own good. I, I don't know. I think I'm just more of like, to me, the song is the basic unit, mm-hmm. you know, and the song has to be, and, and it has to be something, whether it's a combination of melody and lyrics that dra- draws me in, you know, and I'm not a big fan of too much improvisational music. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, 
certain amount of improvisation I like, but I'm certainly not a jam band fan. You know, I never listened to a lot of jazz, Although, for now, you realize that Neil Young is the most a, improvising motherfucker, 10-minute guitar solo, taken, jamming, fucking from the 60s guy. So it's, it's but the song is still the basic contradictions. unit. Yes, the song is still the basic unit, yes. And he, there was even, did you read, did you read Shaky? Uh, no, I have not read Shaky. I'm reading the Sam Phillips book right now, which is really it's good. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in yeah. Shaky, it's beautiful because he really, like, if you're into Everybody Knows It's Nowhere, you know, it's got, like, the three, like, long jam songs. And, like, basically most of his albums have, or at least the Crazy Horse ones, always have some songs that are just, like, three chords that go on forever and just jam. And he was talking, I guess, about, I, I guess he was talking about a song like Down by the River or, or Cowgirl in the Sand, mm-hmm. one of them. But he just starts saying how, like, well, he'd start with a solo, and then he just starts going like, oh, then I realized we could just do this after every verse. Mm. So, like, in a song like Cowgirl in the Sand, it's like every time he sings a verse, then he plays a solo for as long as he wants. Right. Then they then come back to the verse. Yeah. yeah. And, and his whole thing, it was one of those, like, stoner insights of 60s, like, oh, I could just do that as much as I want. So, yeah. But basically, I mean, he, he jams as much as The Grateful Dead. But it just sounds more... You know, it's our language, though. It's in our language, so it doesn't alienate us because, you know... Our language it, being what? What do you... When you rock, say our, rock. Oh, yeah. Oh, rock. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Straight the up. Grateful Dead weren't rock as far as you're concerned? Or, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I was never... I, I, I've been making jokes um, for years that, like... And I, but it's not even a joke, but it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm just about ready to start getting into the Grateful Dead. I think I'm almost ready. All it's going to take is the right album. You just got to listen to the right album. No, no, the dead conversation is different. It's different because here's what happens with that conversation is you say to your deadhead friend, you go like, yeah, you know, I I just never, I I listen to American Beauty. It's all right. It's nice. It's like, no, man, you got to hear some tapes. But no, then you right. have to hear the right tapes. You got to hear the right tapes. So it's not even right. shit that they released on a record. Like you have to hear like something. It's like you will not get it unless you go into the secret, the vaults. Like you have to go to the vaults. But that shit's all on the internet now. So it's. I hate to be this dismissive <laughs> of anybody, but to me, it's noodly horseshit. Well, see, there you that's, go. That's there that would go. be my dismissive two-word take on the Grateful Dead. Noodly yeah. horseshit. Yeah. Well, you know? um, I believe that there's. I, I believe that's probably what it sounds like to me, or else it would have grabbed me at some point. But the things that people say about them, because you know, when I really understood um, the appeal of the Grateful Dead, or at least what I was imagining was happening, was um, the first time I saw television. Yeah. Because I never. In my life, ever, 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 there was a moment, I might have said this in an earlier one of these um, podcasts, but there was a moment in the middle of the set when um, Verlaine and Lloyd were going back and forth soloing, and I was hearing, you know, I was really stoned, of course, Yeah. but, um, you know, and that helps that dead head shit mindset, but the thing was, there was a moment when I had this, like, revelation, because they were just, la- like, they were just launching each other to heights, Unlike anything you'd hear on a television album, as great as the television albums are, but unlike any studio recording, and you just saw this thing escalating. And then I just had this sudden realization that the people on stage had no more, they had no more of an idea of what was going to happen than the audience did. They had, they were there in the moment, like there was no, like you were watching something be created in the moment that was spontaneously happening and that there's you could not have that experience of seeing like that experience can't be had any other way than if they don't know what's going to happen either. And the thing the Grateful Dead is supposed to be famous for, it's 
sink or swim. Like either they're fucking flying, yeah, or it's just horrible. Like yeah. you know, cause, and that's what they call risk taking. Risk taking. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Yeah. Or they, you know, Thurston Moore had that quote. Um, you know, never trust a band that's great every night. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that's that's a pretty good quote. It's a good quote. It's not necessarily you know that doesn't mean you can't enjoy Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah, know, who I'm sure. <laughs> I, I look. I just finished that book about him, and it you know as the much. New one? A, yeah, the new book. Yeah. I have it if you want to borrow it. Yeah, I'd like it's, to read it's that. It's really good. Warren the... Zanes wrote it. But he, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because he was somebody who I kind of knew about and listened to. Never went out and bought a Tom Petty record. I hate to admit it. Uh, but now <laughs> I kind of want to. Now yeah. after reading this book, I, yeah. you know, I, I got a bunch of his music off of Amazon that, you know, I was able to download for free and I want to listen to it. But they're supposedly they're an incredible live band, like incredibly... You know, t- locked in together. They toured with Bob Dylan as his backup well, band for quite it, a while. And it's that whole. You know, you know, when they also they started. I mean, the Ben Montench, Stan Lynch, not Stan Lynch. Uh, ben Montench and Mike Campbell. Yeah. And Petty were all playing together from Florida. Yeah, from, from like before teenagers. They, yeah. Yeah, they, that's that's that same kind of thing where there's like, a, and they played bar regular. You know, four night, four sets a night. Yeah. Gigs. Yeah. Like, there's a whole discipline like guys like that have been through that didn't exist when we were growing up. Yeah, the whole like we were pretty undisciplined. Pretty yeah. undisciplined. Well, that's the thing. the The whole punk rock thing was like you know, like okay, I'm gonna learn as I go, write songs um, as I'm learning, and it's all happening in public. Like that was like the hardcore scene, basically. Which without which I don't see how I would have ended up playing music. But that and, it's that's how it's that interesting because I think that you know it's uh, you you you've. You know, I, I, I'm reflecting on different aspects of, you know, when I got into music and thought that I might have a musical career. And, I, I mean, I was in this band, and it never occurred to me that maybe it was the wrong band for me to be. Yeah. Like, maybe I could go try being in a different band. I just was like, this is the band that I'm in. And then when I realized that it wasn't really going to work, uh-huh. you know, that we weren't going to, I, I just sort of stopped being in a band at that point. Stop playing music, really. And then it was a year or two, and then I was in a, another band. And you know, and so, but, but it's 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 really amazing when you read about a guy like that, about a guy like Tom Petty, the drive and the ambition, you know, to just know that this is what I was meant to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and whatever obstacles I encounter, I'm just going to keep going, you know, yeah. because I really, I got discouraged. Quickly. Oh yeah, yeah, I was sort of yeah. like, well, maybe this isn't. You know, by the way, he he is an incredible songwriter. Whatever yeah. else you might be able to say about him, the basic unit is the song yeah. to him. So without his ability to write songs, he might have ended up like me. He might have ended up like a half-assed guitar player. Who knows? But he had this ability to write songs because they didn't even know if he should front the band. Right. You know, right. there was all this discussion with Mudcrutch and these other bands he was in. It's like, that might not be our singer. Well, the it was supposed to be really the thing. Sing. Wasn't you know, this the story that... I mean, there, were, there was a story I read in one article, and it, it might have been when Mike Campbell was joining the band, but and Tom Petty was just a bass player. Yeah. And it was it was a, so- a song that Tom Petty wrote, and then they were like, well, what song is that? And like, oh, Petty wrote that. He's like, Petty wrote that? Yeah. yeah. Like, that, that you know, first, he right. was just a bass player that had the knack for, like, he knew how to write a song that people were like, hey, that sounds like a real song. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it turned out he was a great stage performer. Yeah. Too. He was the guy who would get up there. And for whatever other reason, was pretty magnetic when he yeah. was on stage. Like he, you, he could command the stage, even if he didn't, if even if he had a quote unquote idiosyncratic voice. Yeah. Because there was another guy in the band, I forget who it was, who ended up leaving. But he was a hot shit guitar player, and he had this really cliched rock and roll voice. And yeah. they were all like, "Yeah, he could sing, but it's not really that special." You oh know? yeah. It's not, 
he's not doing anything all that special. And then Tom Petty would get up there and be like, the guy's nasally, but he could really put a song across, you know? Yeah. And, so I don't know Absolutely. where I'm going with any of this conversation. Let's get back to Neil Young. Damn the torpedoes, him, man. Damn the torpedoes. Oh, but that guy, I mean, if you ever want to listen to like a disciplined, like correct lead guitar player, uh, Mike Campbell, is he's impeccable. Yeah. And he's great in every sense, like yeah. just in every sense. But also, though, when you're listening to that music, you are listening to the opposite of improvisation. Like you're listening to these constructed, right. like all the solos are little songs in and of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's carefully pieced together. Yes, I think. Not unlike Neil Young. Um, so with Neil, all with right. Neil, um, how about uh, what other? Were, were there other ones that you had studied before or looked at, or that were particular um, favorites? I I went through a, a period of trying to figure out. I, I know I know I've played Cowgirl in the Sand, in some setting before. I don't remember what exactly it was. Uh, what else of his? I mean, I, there's a lot of his stuff that I like, but I became obsessed with Powderfinger at one point. And it, it was an obsession that lasted like a whole year mm-hmm. until it culminated in me performing it at the Hoof and Mouth Symphonia. I mean, even when my friend Jim and I went to uh, Cleveland after Hurricane Sandy just to get out of town for a while. Yeah. And we went to visit the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum. We brought guitars with us because we drove out there. And in the hotel room, we were playing Powderfinger over and over again because uh-huh. I wanted to get it down. So it was like an obsession. Um, there isn't. Is there another one of his that you want to? Well, like the thing that's cool about it. I mean, I'm thinking about like kind of the Cortez. If I can remember, I think that's all he has that in. It's just like E minor D and um, e, yeah, from E minor to. Oh, and that's Neil's other thing. You know, he loves um, an E minor 7, right? Yeah. So an E minor 7, that's just when you add that third fret of the B string. Yeah, but I, I use my pinky for that. Um, but you could use, if you have these two fingers, you can... Yeah. Yeah, you see, you need that, this note. Third fret B string. So you want to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. Then you gotta do the D. A minor. Is that one that you've listened to very much? That particular one? No. Oh, that is the those three chords. Only three chords. Ten minute song. Yeah. And um, but and it starts with a solo. But what you will hear in that, if like you're playing those three chords, you know, there's a lot of the um, he he's he does a lot of this running up and down the scale on the. Can you give me those chords a little bit? I'll t-
Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, this will be a, um, we'll make this like an exercise game. Exercise game. Okay. So the two things, basically, I'm trying to think of how I want to word this. Um, we've talked about pentatonic scales. Yes. And then the opposite of pentatonic scales is diatonic scales. It's not the opposite, but it's basically the diatonic scale is just a regular scale. Or if you're in the key of E minor, it would be... But it's the same notes. But the, th the thing that Neil would do is if he's playing like, like kind of... He's, he's either playing really simple pentatonic kind of licks... And then if he's playing diatonic, he doesn't start playing like, you know, you know, he doesn't right. start playing. He could, I mean, a lot of the television shit or a lot of Richard Lloyd kind of playing actually sounds like Neil Young would sound if he learned how to do everything. Right. But what Neil will do is that he'll just go start going on one string. So... So let's say this is that is that I'll play those three chords. Yeah. And we're going to say that the song's in E minor. So let's say that this note, the fifth fret, let's say that you can think of that as that's your favorite note. Yeah. And then what you're going to do is without even um, trying to tell you anything else except that that's your favorite note, mm -hmm. go up and down. Uh-huh. But always, you're always, you always want to always move either, um, now what I, what I did there is I happened to hit the notes there from the scale correct, but instead of learning the notes from the scale correct, yeah. what I want you to do is every time you find a next note, go either a whole step or a half step, and then if it sounds, you know, um, clunkerish, just nudge it and try to get it to fit somewhere. But your idea is that you just want to be kind of fishing up and down that string. Okay. And I guarantee you, you will get some Neil Youngy things happening. Okay. Let's try it. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Uh, I, I felt pretty good, except for a couple of clunkers. Now there was a couple of clunkers in there, no doubt. There should be because yeah. that was the weird, the weird that was designed uh, to make clunkers. But 
um, you violated one of my laws, or at least the, the rules of the game, which is um, not a, not a lot, but because um, I said always move a whole step or a half step. Right. So now mostly that is what you were doing, but the main thing is especially when it's a clunker. Yeah. Instead of going far away from where you are, just go right next to the clunker will be a good thing. Right. And then the other thing is try to even if you want to go from far to you know if you want to go a distance. Try to get there in those whole step, half step intervals instead of making skips. Okay. Because the skips is the thing where it becomes more like throwing darts. Or you have to know the, the neck better. Right. Because, you know, like, like the difference between the whole step and the half step. You know, whole step versus half step. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like you can, you can hear the difference. If you're trying to improvise, that's kind of one of the first things that you will start to intuitively do correctly without having to think about it. Okay. Uh, is that, is, is just starting to feel whether you want to go two frets or one fret. So what I want you to do is this time, just really just try to just stick with that one, like you're always going a whole step or a half step. Okay. And then everything else, the approach was exactly right. Okay. All right. Getting quite Neil Youngish there for a bit. What's that? It was getting very Neil Youngish. Very much so. And, and you said you're not very you're not familiar with that song. No, not really. So you have no idea how much that's what it sounds like if you listen to the song. <laughs> not really. Well, I mean, it's it's like literally one of those ten minute jobbers. Yeah. Um, like it's one of his all time longest songs. <laughs> 
Um, but so it sounds like a lot of things, but yeah. basically that that's the sound of it. Um, so is, what, he, is it all on that one string? Is he oh no, he does a lot of different yeah. stuff. But yeah. what I'm the reason I wanted to do the one string thing is that like you notice how the more that you're doing it yes. over those same three chords, well, it's the same notes work good consistently. Yeah. So the more that you're rolling along, you're just starting to have more confidence because certain things start to pop out and then you start to have that thing where you hear when you're on the right note. Right. And then you hear, then you do start to make that jump of, oh, this is the Neil Youngy kind of thing that, like he would do. Right, yeah, you get more complicated. Yeah. And, yes. Um, so the other thing was that by limiting that um, thing to a half step is that whenever you hit like something that would be like a clunkerish, if you nudge it just a half step, you're automatically on a decent note. You sound more like you're intentional right. or know what you're doing than if you just try to go somewhere else, like kind of like, an, like oh, I got to find a different note somewhere. Yeah, right. If you just nudge it to a good note, you just sound like, oh, missed it by that much. <laughs> is that why? What's the diatonic part, though? The diatonic is, I mean, because I, well, the, this diet- turned out to be better than that, right? Right. So, um, it also depends on what chord you're on because now play the play the better note. Now, play the other note. See if if you hit it at that note at the right time, that note's better because that's in the D chord. That's an F sharp. And then that's an E. That's in the chord of A. Yeah. So now, so the, the more that you get into that, so. Diatonic only means, basically, it's just another word for the major scale. And what diatonic actually means is um, two tones, half, st- um, half step and whole step. That's, that's why they use the word diatonic is because when you go... Um, did, did, have we done the... Um, have we looked at the major scale before? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Well, this is the whole... This is the big everything. This is yeah, the big the everything. the big enchilada? The All big right. enchilada, yes. Um... You never played piano, did you? Just half-assed piano. That's all. Did you ever learn what the notes are on the piano? Do you know what one is? The, do you know what the white keys are? Which, which major? Ones the uh, C major scale. C major scale. So I mean, basically, like on a piano, the reason I bring up a piano is if you look at a piano, the visual of it, um, it's all the white keys are the naturals. That means they're not sharp or flat. Right. So there's a pattern that goes on. You have C. Black key, D, black key, E, F, right next to each other. Right. Black key, G, black key, A, black key, B, C, right next to each other. So the piano, when you see that two keys, three keys, you know, the, when you're, you're looking well, at the black, the black keys. keys yes. Yeah. So on a guitar, the thing is you don't have a visual that works that way. But if what the major scale is, is it's whole step followed by another whole step and then a half step and then two more whole steps. And then another half step, or two holes and a half, three holes and a half. But here's the thing: um, three, four, seven, one. That's where the half steps are. So a way that I do it is I'll say like, um, what we want to do is play the major scale, and we just want to think, okay, I'm going to say the numbers as I'm going, and the only information you have to remember is that three, four is a half step, and seven, one. So I go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one. One, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. So 
you're thinking always whole step unless three four or seven one so say it out loud as you do each one and o only use one finger and say each number aloud as you do it one two three four yes five six seven no what six to seven is a whole se step seven to one is a half step seven do it from um yeah do it from there again and then two, Really try to be strict about keeping the one finger thing going. Okay, one finger. Keep saying the numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two. Then on the way down, I do the same thing. Or? Yeah, but say the numbers back. So it'll be one, one seven, six. Seven, six, five, four, three, two. Now. Use those notes, and we'll, I'm going to play the same chords. Yeah. And those notes, actually, no, that's the, not the right key. I'd have to return to the A minor. Okay, I got one. Yeah. Same string. Yeah. Do the same. Do the same notes and experiment with those notes as I play the chord changes from. Wait a minute, sir. Start anywhere? You start Yeah. I already forgot it. note there because that's the one that that's the um, this is a wrong one because that note you're looking for that note yeah you want so these three but yeah now state let's do that a little bit more what I'm doing is I'm saying on C F C G which is the one four five of C yeah so just stay on those notes and kind of try to keep saying the numbers to yourself. Okay. Maybe silently in your head if you like. All right. As okay. you're doing it, and then just see what happens. All right. That's that wrong note, illegal note. X yeah. that note out of your mind. Thank you. The um, well, notice that that worked about as good as um, the Cortez the Killer, except it doesn't sound as cool because it's not we're not playing a Neil Young song anymore. We're right, just playing right. a C, F, and G in a major key, and the major keys aren't dark and mysterious like it minor keys. It almost sound like a Christmas song. 
Yeah, yeah, corny, corny. Yeah, corny. Be- oh, because of, oh, well, that's the other thing of diatonic melody versus pentatonic melody. Right. Is like, because pentatonic melody is like blues, country, you know, rock. Yeah. Tends, and when you start hearing too many notes in the melody is what makes it sound like, you know, like a Christmas jingle or a... Yeah. I mean, I kind of liked it, though. Well, you were, I mean, you were fishing or experimenting, so you were starting to find little, like, riffs and stuff as you're moving along. But anyway, but getting back to the, the idea of what a diatonic scale is, like, you obviously recognize that the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one is the familiar do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Mm-hmm. And so that's all that that means. That's all that diatonic means. And then what Neil is doing when he's like zooming around on the one string, sliding up and down, is he's doing what you were just doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it has that feeling that you like, you know, what, these traits that you that you admire. You know, the I, intuition, the feeling. There's a lot of stu- sound, Neil Young to vibe. me. And by the way, we're gonna have to wrap up soon. Mm-hmm. The missus is headed home, and um, you know, just to give you fair warning, yeah, uh, is his string attack. You know, yeah. to me, a great deal of what he does is is the way he's working the pick, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm stating the bloody obvious to you, oh. uh, but, you know, this is kind of for the tape. This is for, oh, yeah, for the yeah. tape. You know, it's all about his string attack and, you know, the, just the little things he's doing. Uh, actually, you, know? you actually raise a very, you raise a good point, though, because what you call it's about his string attack. Mm-hmm. See, and I said that he has zero chops, right, mm-hmm. As in terms of, like, you know, he's not fluid, he could do what he needs to do, though. You know, nothing is missing. Right. Um, here's the thing: is that remember before I was saying how he has a uh, a contrasting, like really fucking tight acoustic approach. Right. Like it's it's rocking and it's hard, but he's very accurate and he's very articulate on the acoustic. Now it is said. I, I read this interview with, of all people. It was the musician cover where they had Jerry Garcia and Elvis Costello talking to each other. Wow. And Elvis Costello was talking about how, you know, his guitar has the action so high that you can't play. And Elvis is like, but, you know, I don't, I'm not a soloist though, so I don't care. I just like it that way because I hit the guitar hard. And then Jerry Garcia goes, yeah, you know that black, that black Les Paul that Neil Young plays? He's like, he's like, I picked that thing up. You can't, you can't play that fucking thing. Like, the strings are so far off the neck. Now, here's the thing, is that if you're really good at acoustic guitar, acoustic guitar requires stronger hands, just plain old stronger, more physical force to make it work. Right. It's more unforgiving. It's more demanding. So, Neil has a guitar where it's set up that it's as hard to play as an electric guitar can be to play. So, that physical, like what you're calling his attack, it is actually like the struggle between man and inanimate object. Right. And it's his feeling for it, like that's how he wants it. You know, Neil Young could get like a slick, easy to play, you know, he can get any guitar he wants in the world. Sure. So his preference for something that's like, he wants to have that, that struggle. So it's, it's actually a good point. And then a lot of what you hear of that sound is that that hard one, because the action is high and the strings are fatter. Like, you know, if, if action is lower, the guitar is easier to play. And if the right. strings are thinner, it's easier to play. But if the action is higher and the strings are thicker the sound is fatter right so that's what you're hearing with neil is you're talking about basically when you, you know you're talking about this, yeah, this his sound. open chords sound like god i mean they, yeah. they sound amazing you yeah know, especially uh with those firebird pickups on that les paul yeah 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 and i think it, i think it has a lot to do with his it has a lot to do with um how he 
he really plays like out of anyone. If you take any of these guys, like a, like a Keith Richards or a Jimmy Page, like guys that have played some like awesome acoustic guitar and awesome electric guitar, no one plays their awesome electric guitar more like their awesome acoustic guitar than Neil. The only difference is if he's playing electric, he just plays way less because if he strummed as much on an elect on his you know overdriven electric as he would on acoustic. It would just sound like like noise. Like a racket. Yeah, exactly, like a racket. Very good. Yes. Very good. Um, where could we put a period on this, I wonder now? What, should, what would be a good period for this? Well. You have nothing to say about my orange amp, by the way? I love the orange amp. I love the orange <laughs> I'm always a big fan of the orange amp. Um, always have been. The one I got from Rhino? You... Oh, from Rhino from Bedlam? Yeah. I, I, oh, I've told you this story before. I'll tell it again yeah. real fast. But one day, I was hanging out with Paul Richard uh-huh. at his place. And he said, hey, I need a hand delivering an amp to uh-huh. somebody. And we got in his car with this Randall amp. Uh-huh. I think it was a head and a bottom. And we brought it over to this guy's house where a poker game was going on. All these guys sitting around a table with lots of cigar smoke and cigarette <laughs> smoke. And it turned out it was Rhino. And we had to bring it up to his bedroom. And in the corner was this amp. Mm-hmm. And I went over and I was admiring it. I said, oh, wow, orange amp. That's, that's really cool. And he's like, you want it? I said, sure. He said, yeah, you could take it. I said, how much do you want for it? He said, no, just take it. And I said, okay. So Paul grabbed the other end and we carried it out and stuck it in. And I think part of a, I think Paul was a little miffed that he had never occurred to him to say anything to Rhino about it. But it was all roached out. Like, there was no front on it. Someone had oh, cut okay. off oh, yeah, the yeah, grill okay. cloth and the back was gone. And I had to... Oh, okay. It was fucked I, up. Okay. I had to create that new yeah. uh, grill cloth thing. I, okay. I went with black instead of the basket weave because it wasn't available back then. Yeah. And I went to a place in Newark, New Jersey that was an orange dealer and I got the crest and the nameplate. They had stock still. Uh-huh. And I created a back for it and, and I also had it upgraded to 120 watts from 80 watts. Oh, it's awesome. Got, this so, guy I, I was working with at Eventide, he put in the two extra tubes in the circuitry that was necessary. Uh, and know, he said, never run it without an extension cabinet. He said, if you're going to switch it to 120 watts, do not send it through those two speakers. And I never have. Good man. But it's just the most awesome thing. I mean, this is straight into the amp. There's no, the rat isn't engaged. Yeah. It's, you know? Yeah, no, I've always loved those things. I always think, I, they make me think of Black Sabbath from that, like, uh, there's that one Cal Jam. Like one of the, there's like footage of them doing um, Never Say Die, a, a Cal yeah. Jam, and like I just think of the big orange amps every time. That's why I knew it. That's why I knew about orange amps. Oh, I think I had just Sabbath? read a Tony Iommi interview and he must yeah. have been going on about them. Anyway, here, play through the orange for a little bit before we're done. Just okay. play something for the aerial view crowd and uh, I'll sum up okay. while you're playing. Sounds like Black Sabbath in here. First, we have to take off the tips of your fingers. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 
trying to remember the solo from Paranoid. While Keith plays us out, thanks for listening to this Aerial View podcast. This is uh, Chris T, and you can find me online at aerialview.me. Drop me a line at ct.wfmu.org, and uh, I'll send you the newsletter. And everybody have, uh, well, I guess you've already had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'll, uh, I'll see you again next Tuesday. Thanks, Keith. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.